0: Support for WAER Original Podcasts comes from California Closets of Syracuse, located in DeWitt. California Closets can help you get your entire home organized with custom-designed storage solutions for the home office, kitchen pantry, closets, and more. Online at californiaclosets.com.
1: Then in March of 21, they have the Oprah interview. And then they don't talk again until late 2022. But you would think, if you read the British tabloids, that they are every day out there just squawking and talking. Yeah. They are not talking.
0: This is Pop Life from WAER. I'm Kendall Phillips, and I want to start this episode with a little story. My wife, Catherine, is British, raised in Cardiff, Wales. We were living in Missouri in 1997 when Diana, Princess of Wales, died in a tragic accident in Paris. We were soon inundated with calls from friends and acquaintances wanting to know if Catherine was doing okay. How was she holding up? Now, the reality is my British wife has absolutely zero interest in the royal family, and like quite a few people in Britain and the Commonwealth, questions why a modern nation even needs to maintain a monarchy. And yet, for many people in Britain and around the world, the British royal family is deeply important. The death of Diana sparked a wave of grief around the world and waves of various other emotions have continued with countless royal dramas surrounding Charles and Camilla, William and Kate, and quite notably Harry and Meghan. These royal dramas have circulated through pop culture, in tabloids and magazines, Oscar-winning films, television series, interviews, and memoirs. Here to help us think through the dynamics surrounding the British royal family and why we remain obsessed with their struggles is Dr. Cal Alston, a professor in the School of Education at Syracuse University, renowned scholar of education and popular culture, and in the interest of full disclosure, my friend and neighbor, Cal, welcome to Pop Life.
1: Thank you, it's great to be here.
0: Now Cal, I know you have a a lot to say about the Royals and Harry and Meghan, but I did want to start with a kind of slightly broader question. From your perspective, why are we so interested in the British royal family in general? Why, Why do they remain such a central part of pop culture?
1: Well, I think because it is a thousand-year-old institution. It's one of the few sort of continuing sagas. We love a good soap opera, right? (laughs) So it's a continuing saga. And I I was just going to start by saying that, you know, when we started talking about doing this, of course, it was tempting to say, I'm just going to do a review of Spare because that's the latest thing. just came out on January 8th. But I think that that uh, memoir, despite the fact that it sold 3.2 million copies in the first week, uh, beating all the other uh, nonfiction books, um, or we could talk about Megan's podcast, 12-part podcast archetypes, or their six-part Netflix docuseries. There's (laughs) a lot of stuff right now, but I think I wanted to start by thinking about going back a little bit and maybe get a little bit to your question. Just to say, I'm of a generation. I'm older than you. Where I watched Charles and Diana's 1981 wedding from a friend's apartment, and probably that's probably the most interested I had ever been in the British royal family since uh, that something that hadn't been presented by Shakespeare. I was a drama major <laughs> as an undergrad. Um, so all in all. Princess Diana appeared on 58 People covers, People magazine covers, more than any other individual human being. So she was a legit pop culture icon in the 80s, 90s uh, until and beyond when she passed away. So, of course, we all knew about her sons then, William and Harry. And when she died in 1997, as you said, it sent shockwaves. She was only 36 years old, so she was very young. And uh, as I was putting, I was putting together a crib for my daughter when the overnight news came on. And so I suppose my interest in the British royal family, for me, was really situated in that Diana. Space. She was only a couple years older than me when she younger than me rather when she died, and uh, that identification with this sort of glamorous princess. Um, I dutifully got up to watch Will's wedding to Kate Middleton, (laughs) and I say boring (laughs) Um, in twenty eleven. Blah blah. And then I should confess that I really uh, did follow some of the online celeb gossip sites around variety of people, but it led me to a very bad habit, which I've now gotten rid of, to uncritically consume the mail online.
0: The Daily Mail is no longer on your regular list. That is correct.
1: Um, So maybe this is my way of expiating my own guilt for that uh, misbegotten period of my life. And the question I think um, that maybe uh, listeners aren't aware of is that there's so much written about the royals by other people there are a few royal biographies like famously mm-hmm. Diana in her own words there's a book about Charles that were definitely sourced by the principals themselves but not very many no. in the vast array so people kept saying why should why should harry publish a memoir it's because over 50 books have been written in recent years i mean he's not that old he's not even 40 about him, some of them about him and his brother, some about Charles and the boys, those kinds of things. But where he's a central subject, and he has not been interviewed for any of them except for one by one Angela Le- Levin, who uh, famously got a twenty-minute interview with him and then wrote a whole book. That's pretty
0: good. That's a good interview. <laughs> I wish we, I, I do thirty-five-minute interviews here. I, I don't think I could write a book on any of this.
1: So the question I wanted to ask was, who gets to tell your life story? And what does it mean when you are a natural sort of subject of interest, public Mm -hmm. interest? And what does it mean to be part of a family that actually is actually an institution? Sure. And that's, I think, part of the story that Harry's trying to tell. And I think one of the things, if people do pick up the book, is to recognize he's still working through quite a bit of his, sure. his own life. So I wanted to start a little bit about Harry and Meghan because I think the interest of the tabloids and the way in which the institution, I don't think, reacted to their union in a way that was actually in their good self-interest.
0: The Harry and Meghan, yeah, that, that marriage seemed treated a little different than Will and Kate or... Or even, or even Charles and Camilla, which is a, a romantic liaison that has a lot of baggage with it.
1: And a lot of state implications, right? That's For the it. first time in British history, we're going to have a, divor- a king who's divorced married to a, a divorcee herself. We know that the Church of England was famously founded to enable well, Henry VIII to do <laughs> some divorcing. But he never divorced. He mar- never married a divorced right. woman. So uh, so <laughs> Harry and Meghan met in 2016 uh, via a friend on Instagram, which is ironic in itself because <laughs> they, they now famously are on no social media, at least not publicly available. And... At this time, I would describe Harry as a kind of shaggy dog of a prince, (laughs) Um, uh, kind of unemployed except when his grandmother or the home office, the British home office, calls him up and says, head off to Barbados. (laughs) Um, Meghan, however, is in the sixth year of her seven-year stint on Suits, a successful legal drama that shot in Toronto, like many shows that lightly suggest that they're actually in New York City. And um, she... Also operated a very successful lifestyle blog called The Tig. She had when she shut it down when uh, she got deeply involved mm-hmm. with Harry. Uh, she had over three million followers on that, uh, plus various followers on the other platforms like Twitter. Um, She had given a speech in 2015 at the UN Women's Conference, done philanthropy all around the world, and launched—this is the light side—she launched a capsule clothing collection for a department store in Canada. So she'd—and she'd made many, 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 many media appearances. Of course. Because she she was a TV.
0: She was a star. Right.
1: So she uh, had been on Larry King. She'd been on Craig Ferguson. She'd done— so she was media savvy, way more in a way than Harry could ever have uh, have been. Um, all the time she was creating her brand, Harry's brand had been constructed for him by the British media. Naughty Harry. You remember the Las Vegas trip yes. where he was, where his buns were in evidence. The third wheel to Kate and Will, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and... He also had a very contentious relationship with the media, mm. starting when he was a young boy. He did not he blamed the paparazzi and the media for driving his mother to her death, and he spoke on camera and on tape about how he wished he could escape them. Um so he was a, they were entering into the media conflagration that was about to take place from very different perspectives. In some ways,
0: Harry, more so than almost any other, you know, young famous person, he really did grow up in this remarkable media spotlight because I think for a lot of us the first time we remember seeing him and his brother was at Diana's funeral and then suddenly uh, much like with, you know, John Kennedy's child, it's kind of wrapped in that grief. And then since then, it was constantly this, this stream of attention. So they have – it's interesting to me that Meghan Markle and Harry have such – they're both very in the media but have totally different kind of approaches. How, how does that work out in their union?
1: I think when people say she knew what she was getting into, I think she did not know what she sure. was getting into because – she was building a brand. She was courting. She had a publicist. She had people who were bringing her sure. into the media. And she also wanted to support her philanthropies. And the way you do that is with coming on and talking about makeup tips and then yeah. oh, to by the way, talking yeah. about water rights in Uganda. So she, I think she did not understand the sure. ways in which Harry had been reduced to a kind of a puppet prop by the media. One of one of Dye's boys. True. And somebody that the British media and the British public believe they owned, in a way. Of course. That yes. was just very, I think, very different. And not just because she was American, but because her entry into the media was just very, very different. So, the almost the first headline when his relationship with Meghan was leaked in 2016 was, Harry's girl is almost straight out of Compton. Oh, my. That was the... One of the very first headlines. And at that point, Harry, who had been, had his voice very much repressed by the powers that be in the various palaces, he came out with a statement and said, Leave my girlfriend alone. People are going by and disrupting her mother's life. Her mother Mm. was still living in LA and was getting her work life. She was being followed around by the paparazzi. So, uh, he was and he also said in that statement that he was not able to protect his mother and mm-hmm. he very much intended to protect his girlfriend and he'd also had other relationships as an adult in which the media attention had been one of the factors in the girlfriend's kind of saying ugh it's just Rom-
0: romance is hard enough without a thousand photographers taking a picture Correct. of everything you
1: do and following <laughs> you around so uh, the other thing that happened when Meghan came along was that there was a lot of talk about, oh, this is the opportunity to modernize the monarchy. But there was always a side dish of, oh, she's gonna bring in the ex-, quote-unquote exotic DNA, and inspiring another quote, niggling doubts. Oh my! I mean, so <laughs> there was the dog oh whistles were not even dog oh whistles; they were they were wild stuff. And then once. They got together publicly um, and really out in the public domain. Uh, they started to just basically nag her on the on the True. on the daily about the color of her nail polish, the cut of her uh, dresses, um, all the things. And so, and and even once, and this one really just caused wrinkled brows. She closed her own car door one day. Heaven forbid. Yes. Well, that was... She was just... She didn't know how to act. And um, so even though uh, the palace did issue a statement denying that Kate had gotten baby Botox (laughs) and that William got a legal injunction prohibiting British publications from commenting on rumored affairs, extramarital affairs, they left Harry and Meghan out there uh, for headline bait, which was delightful for the tabloid press, right? So uh, the idea of never explain, never complain, as Harry says in his many interviews for the book, that's just a slogan. Sure. want to segue a little bit to the Queen, because she's a figure that... Absolutely. ...lose large in the story of, again, why do we care about the British royal family outside of Shakespeare and... (laughs)
0: It ha- queen Elizabeth II is a, a, a absolutely a moment in history, right?
1: Right. She became the queen in 1952 and she reigned for over 70 years. So that was the occasion of her platinum jubilee last year. Um, but I think there's two factors in her reign that have an impact and they've led the British royal family to their current state status as the real housewives of Windsor. <laughs> um and one and, and neither one of them is harry's book. Harry's book is a footnote in the in the history of uh since William the Conqueror. So, but one of them is the fact that she reigned for 70 years. So there's not that I mean all the generations 70 and below yeah. in age, she's been the only monarch that they've known. And I'm not just talking about in Britain. I'm talking these were global figures. You have to remember they maintained a very uh, juicy uh, empire, uh, turned commonwealth. Um, and uh, so the length of her reign. And had a
0: turbulent w- period as well. It's not right. as if this is 70 years where not a lot's going on. You had a lot of global changes, certainly for the British Empire as well.
1: Right. Tons of change. Not too much change in the way the royal family operated. They had this sort of straight-up post-Victorian aesthetic. Um, Catherine loves to Kate loves to dress up her children in Harry's old clothes, which were probably somebody's old clothes sure. from like the Peter Pan collars, no long pants until you're six years old. That kind of poor Louis was uh, in in shorts <laughs> on the Christmas walk. With his little red knees, I Aww. felt very bad for him. Um, so, the um, so when uh, because she, as she was in she was uh, coronated as a very young woman, young, beautiful, and recently bereaved, right? Mm-hmm. Her beloved yeah. father. She took on this kind, of fair princess thing. She was the that it girl, True. really, with. Um, all the ermine and the stolen jewels and whatnot. <laughs> um, but she was seen in that post-World War II period as the stabilizing force, sure. as the model of then what was considered modern Britain, post-war Britain, and that she was very traditional. She did not ever do anything publicly to really rock the boat. That was really
0: She was like a she, rock. She, she was, was like that steady
1: yes. steady space. So cracks appear obviously in the 1992 Annus Oribalus as she called it when Windsor Castle burned and three of her four children got divorced. Yeah,
0: not a, not a good not not a good Christmas letter sent out that year.
1: Yeah. And then uh and then uh a couple years later when Diana died. So all of even the royalists were kind of peeved at the Queen for not breaking that what she viewed as the protocol of, you know, Diana was actually not still in the family. Yeah, so I and, don't have to say anything. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the idea of putting the royal standard at half men. I mean, all those things that the public was clamoring for because they cared about she Diana. She was the people's princess. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then even before the Queen died, we started to see the beginning of... um what I call the colonial ghosts, were scampering around Buckingham Palace um, and making increasingly rattling noises, right? Um, In the Harry and Meghan uh, docuseries, in episode three, we get two biracial Brits who are famous writers, Afua Hirsch, Mm. who's a journalist, and uh, David Olasoga, who's a historian. And they appear in the docuseries to set the conditions um, because the Harry and Baker really don't talk about, they don't talk about colonialism in the docuseries, although they both had talked about it previously. But this, in this set we get a real sort of deeper dive into the meaning of blackness in Britain, Mm. which I think most Americans
0: have Have no no
1: clue about. Right. So, uh, David Olasaga wrote a book called "Black and British" recently, and he said he was eight years old when the BBC canceled the Black and White Minstrel Show oh, yeah. in 1978. I mean, like I was like, "What yeah. the heck?" Um, and uh, it was described as a good-hearted family fun. Oh my! Entertainment. Um, so he's so he called in the in the docu He calls the Commonwealth of Nations, which is 56 nations. Involuntary association, um, uh, which are only two of the countries in the Commonwealth were never uh, British colonies. Sure. And so, uh, and sixteen, fifteen 15 of the current members are realms under mm. the crown. Uh, so this is a, you know, so very much, he calls it co- uh, Colonialism. 2.0 right <laughs> sure the new updated version they've got yeah. a little bit of elections they've got a little bit of a sure. parliament they've got a little bit of this but it still is like this framing by the queen which by the way got solidified when the last meeting of the of the commonwealth that was in britain uh the queen respectfully asked that they elect select um, Charles to be the head after she stepped down, which they reluctantly did. There was debate because sure. they really didn't want it to continue to be this kind of British royal family institution. But they did. again, the queen, long reign. We love Queen Elizabeth um, pr- took over this idea sure. that they could not say no to So Liz.
0: what does her death do to change things. So here we've lost this long-reigning monarch, this rock of stability, and clearly a lot of people, the press, the Commonwealth, others, sort of deferred to Queen Elizabeth II as if, well, we might not like what she's doing, but she is this sovereign monarch. So how does that change things for the royal family and for Harry and Meghan?
1: I think for Britain, it removes the patina held on strongly by some and weakly by others, that the monarch is this sort of uh, god divine, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, divination appointment, and because Charles is not so popular, and because he had to wait mm, seventy wait, wait. years, he's over, he's seventy five years old ish now. He's he's not young.
0: Probably not going to rain for seventy he, years. He's Let's not beautiful. Disagree.
1: He's not setting up a long reign. No. and he is married to a woman that many people do not like. Because remember, their attach many of their attachments to the royal modern, the contemporary royal sure. family, are through Diana, and so uh, I think if the not that I wanted the Queen to die if she died or abdicated thirty years ago or even twenty years sure. ago. It would be, I think, different. But now it f- starts to feel like Charles wants to get his his mitts on the gold, right? Because originally he said he was going to do a very coronation light. Sure. Um, especially because Britain was heading into a uh, recession and a lots of
0: inflation, prices, cost of living got, crisis.
1: Yeah. And so he sort of said at the beginning, right when his mother died, we're going to do coronation light. Just recently, he said, nope, coronation <laughs> golden diamonds. <laughs>
0: you know, because how many times do you get a coronation? Exactly. Once, right? This is your one shot. So
1: so there was, I think, you know, famously, Charles didn't like Diana's outshining him mm. in the public sphere. True. Sure. And I think that carries over into how he treats his sons, and so that brings us to the idea that these, these these houses, so Buckingham Palace, Clarence House, which was Charles's residence, and Kensington Palace, where Will and Harry were, they start briefing against each other mm. to get the up position, and the the only person who can authorize this is the top person, so Elizabeth, Charles, and Will. So their houses are, are briefing against each other. You can off, often see by who they pick. They have this thing called the Royal Rota, which is a select group of—I will not call them journalists—gossipers <laughs> and uh, columnists. They're more like columnists. They're mm-hmm. giving their opinions, those niggling doubts. Yes. Uh, and uh, uh, they have uh, a group—it's a pool— but it's not like the White House press pool. They're not people. They have associations with the tabloids, but they are not regular. They're not journalists. Like They sure. didn't go to journalism school. So they um, and then inside each house, they have their kind of favorites that they leak to. Mm. And so when Charles is feeling like so famous uh, incident from from Harry's book is that, you know, of course, people were very mad at Charles when Diana died and um, there was a report out that Harry was just getting wasted all the time. And at the time, he wasn't. Right. I mean, he was drinking a few he beers. He was a young guy. What are you mean? Drinking a few Come beers on. and sm- maybe smoking a couple. He actually said "No, there was no pot involved. Wow. But there was going to be this story about how he's a drug-addicted person. And Harry's like, please tell them that's not true. Charles is... Uh, then communications secretary said, oh, we can set this up. So now Charles, who was regarded as a neglectful father, is the concerned of course. dad yes. who put his child in rehab. Harry never went to rehab for drugs. But that was what was the broad narrative that was given. And it was to elevate uh, Charles's, uh, Charles's thing. And then it was widely regarded that those rumors about uh, Will's affair came out around the same time as the wedding Hmm. of Harry and Meghan and that again one of his pet Rhoda people said out loud in the newspaper that he was preparing to be king by trading stories about his sister-in-law to repress the rumors about the affair or affairs I'm not sure which.
0: So now that Elizabeth has passed away And and Charles is, as you say, not quite as popular. (laughs) A monarch coming in and clearly there's at least questions around and some of these stories emerging around manipulation of the press and use of the press. Is that part of what's allowing Harry and Meghan to have, I guess, more authorship of their own stories? They're less managed and they're there with the podcast, with the Netflix series, with the memoir. Is this opening the door for them to start telling the story the way they want to tell it?
1: It did open it. When in March of 2020, uh, Charles told them he was removing their security and it was leaked where they were in Canada. Wow. Basically, that was the end of the um, any kind of relationship based on media coverage, right? So but it, it remember, it was a whole year before the Oprah interview um, when they so during that time, they're trying to figure out a how they're going to pay for their life and security um, and what they're going to be doing? They were doing work all through the all through the um, pandemic, again with various philanthropies and charities online, but they were not speaking about their right. life. Then in March of 21, they have the Oprah interview, and then they don't talk again. No, a long silence until you. late yeah. 2022. But you would think if you read the British tabloids that they are every day out there just squawking and talking. Yeah. They are not talking. They have used a very strategic method. And Harry says, said in at least one of the interviews that he did, he's doing he did the memoir to kind of open the door to a conversation hmm. with his family about how they could maybe liberate themselves from these media relationships that he sees as destructive for the family bonds not to mention the really the way in which they they should speak about themselves in order that the british people would know them or their commonwealth folks would know who they are instead of letting them be cur their their life be curated in that way they are he, harry and meghan are essentially free from that now that has has not stopped the british media from no. publishing uh, 40 to 50 articles with their names. They love Megan's name in the headlines. So much so that, <laughs> you know, Harry had his week of press around Spare. Remember they told her to get out, go back home. Sure. You know, just like they say to everybody, yes. if you don't like it here, you can leave. But they did not think Harry was going with her. Right. But and now, she did
0: leave, and now they're unhappy about
1: that. right? And right. so now the, the big headlines this week have been... uh. Where's Megan? <laughs> Why isn't the puppeteer puppeteering? <laughs> so it is rather, uh, rather uh, crazy. But I think they are liberated. They are. Um, they both have had to work through a lot of loss. Sure. Um, now, of course, now that Charles's coronation plans have been set out in the public, of course, now we're just going to start on four months of our Harry and Megan going to the coronation. Sure. I I actually hope – Harry has said there are certain conditions for them to go back in any Mm. form or fashion. Um, I do not think that Charles is going to be willing to meet those terms. So I think – I would hope that they would just say they're not going sooner rather than later because – it's just exhausting. Sure. Yeah, there's, there's endless <laughs>
0: speculation. So if Harry wrote this memoir, Spare, in part to open the door maybe to a deeper conversation amongst the family and and possibly to shift the narrative around the royal family, do you think it's going to work? Do you think, two-part question, is the royal family going to reach or Charles and, and William and Harry going to meet in some different way and, and form a new relationship And will Harry and Meghan now kind of having more authorship, will they change the way we perceive the royal family?
1: An answer to your first question, I do not think that the – interesting that Harry called his book Spare because I think it Mm -hmm. actually focuses a lot of light on what happens to the heirs. Of course. So – I don't think, and I'm not even sure, sure I'm, maybe Harry wakes up some days and has hope, but I don't think he actually believes that they're going to be able to meet him where uh, they can actually repair things. I think the second thing that I didn't mention about the long reign of the Queen mm-hmm. is that media changed, right? So it's not just the, what the British newspapers uh, tell us, although they are relentless in telling yes. us stuff, but there's also social media. Since... 2010, we've had daily inundation of information via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And for the good and the bad, I'm not saying it's all good. In fact, Harry has been part of the Aspen Institute on disinformation Mm. because he has seen how (laughs) communities of hate emerge out of social media as well. But... I think there is uh, that there is a kind of instant archive, right? That wasn't available, for example, for Diana. Of so, when they say that Catherine loving um, avocados while she was pregnant is a delightful, like uh, William brought her an avocado to help her settle her stomach. How sweet. And then they say, oh, Meghan eats avocado toast. You know that avocados uh, kill people. (laughs) Uh, The the farming of avocados is a support for terrorists. I mean, whatever they would, however they would. But people, so they have said in recent days, we have never briefed against Harry and Meghan. And then, of course, Twitter lights up with people actually throwing the receipts out there of their own words. So... I think that that does um, change. I sure. do think that, um, in a way, because of the way the British media has treated Harry and Meghan, people are more. In, they 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 do. They're terrible at this because they do. PR, they the more they say about spare, the more people want to read the book for themselves. Right,
0: right. The worst publicity. So yeah.
1: they're the worst public PR <laughs> people in the world, and so I'm not saying this is oh you know, a a, a tidal wave, but between the Mm. anti-colonial movement, I mean, in Ireland, when the Queen died, they sang, Lizzie's in a box, Lizzie's in a box, at a football game. I mean, there's a change of mood now that we don't have to defer to the nation's grandma. And I don't think that Charles will be able to recapture that attention or that which is precisely why they keep talking about Meghan and Harry, except that I don't think... I think Harry said, this is this is my word on the subject. I'm not going to talk more about it, even though I have 400 more pages that got edited out. <laughs> but I think he's not going to talk about the family in that way. Sure. I think they are going to return to their philanthropies, which are about uh, uh, the women's empowerment... Mm-hmm. Um, and about uh, veterans.
0: Sure, the Invictus game. And uh, doing, yeah.
1: and the things that they care the most about. And I think they're going to let their work speak for themselves, which they have done. As I said, for the most part, sure. they have said very little when you actually count up the minutes that they have. The um, amount of
0: press coverage versus the amount of things they've said is, is disproportionate. Right.
1: right. So, just out of curiosity, your prediction
0: 40 years from now, let's say <laughs> 50 years from now. Okay. Is the British royal family still at the center of a lot of attention or do they go the way of any number of other monarchies that still exist in Europe? But we almost never hear about them.
1: I think they will be more, they by force. They're not they're just not going to have that kind of weight that helps, sure. for example, the there are Tories um, that helps the Tory party <laughs> sure. um, have legitimacy or those kinds of things, I think. The demographics are mm. against them. More, you know, uh, Kate and William went on this terrible co- colonial, neo-colonial tour to the Caribbean, and Jamaica's just announced last week that they are going full speed ahead with the uh, end of their uh, uh, reigning uh, sure. relationship with with the UK, and they're clamoring for reparations. I don't think that. Charles will be able to stand up to that, and I. So I think you know. What is I mean? Even if he lives as long as his parents, that's max twenty five years, and I find that difficult to believe. And King
0: William will not be able to regain the authority and respect that uh, at least Queen Elizabeth II. No,
1: and I think they're you know they're all they're related to all these royal um, houses in Europe, and. They're all doing it... Those houses are all doing it very different. Sweden, Denmark, uh, Netherlands. They're all just doing a very different model in which, yes, they're still monarchs, but they don't even pretend that they have um, power. And the British royal family, or the BRF, as I like to call them, they pretend... I mean, not pretend, but they are... Um, given uh, kind of a power, a percept, a perceptual sure. power, rather than a, they actual- seem to
0: matter on the global stage.
1: Right, even though all the stuff that Liz was doing behind the scenes, like preventing her households from upholding the equity, um, racial equity standards that every other business in Britain sure. had to hold up in her house. They could be as as racist and exclusionary as they wanted. I mean, that kind of stuff. And plus, you know, all the money they have squirreled away. And there's going to be increasing demands. Already, India has said, Camilla better not wear the Koh-i-Noor at the coronation. And they bring out that scepter with the Star of Africa. Every time now they do something that they consider tradition, there's going to be more and more more and more global conversation sure. about why do they keep doing that in um i think i want to say in denmark maybe um or maybe the netherlands when they do their transfer of power mm. it's like a regulation little church service yeah and they keep it <laughs> keep, keep it cute keep it moving they have not learned that lesson we're bringing out the ermine Uh, Charles is going to put on, somebody described it, his junta, his military junta uh, uniform, and it's. I I think it's more than tone deaf. It actually is going against their own interests, but I think they get very bad advice, and then when they get advice that they don't like, they just don't take it.
0: So the more we look at the history of the monarchy, the more likely the British monarchy is to just become history. So, Cal, amazing guest. Now, you should know, in jolly old England, people were sentenced to languish in the Tower of London. Here on Pop Life, we have an even worse fate for our guests, which is you are sentenced to the Fast Five. Cal, I'm going to ask you five either-or questions, all not surprisingly related in some way to the royal family, beginning with question number one. So Meghan, Duchess of Sussex, was perhaps best known, as you've noted, for her role in the long-running TV series Suits. If the struggles between Meghan and the royal family end up in court, which lawyer from Suits should she choose to defend her? Would it be Mike Ross, the college dropout with an eidetic memory, or neurotic financial lawyer Rick Hoffman, who's going to defend Meghan and Harry in court?
1: Oh, it's got to be—it's got to be, it's gotta be uh, Rick Hoffman. Rick
0: Hoffman, perfect choice. Question number two, sticking for a moment with Meghan Markle's uh, earlier career. While most known for her television work, Meghan did appear in small roles in some feature films. Which would you say is more deserving of Oscar consideration? Is it her turn as FedEx courier Jamie in Horrible Bosses or as party girl kissing Russell Brand in Get Him to the Greek?
1: (laughs) I'm going to go with Horrible Bosses.
0: See, I think get into the Greek because anyone who kisses Russell Brand deserves, <laughs> deserves some sort of something, <laughs> conversation. Ch- shifting focus a little in question number three, I know you've been very critical of the d- British tabloids. So if you could sit down and give a piece of your mind to one figure from the British press, would it be Piers Morgan, host and occasional pundit, or Rupert Murdoch, owner of the British paper The Sun and other tabloids? Who are you going to give?
1: I'm going to go for the Roop because he owns the talk show that now... Piers Morgan is on. So you're going right to the he's, top. And he's got to get him scourged from the earth.
0: Question number four for you. Of course, sadly, Queen Elizabeth II passed away last year, but she was immortalized numerous times in film and television. Mm-hmm. Which would you pick as the best portrayal of Queen Elizabeth II? Was it Helen Mirren's Academy Award-winning performance in The Queen or Olivia Coleman's Emmy-winning turn in the popular series The Crown? Which was your better
1: QE2? I think I got to go with Helen. I think the queen was a was a and they're both done by the same uh, creator. But I think Helen Mirren.
0: Two great performances, but we're going to give the edge to uh, Lady Helen Mirren. Finally, question number five for you on an entirely fictional note. Bridgerton, the popular Netflix series, takes a fanciful approach to the history of the British aristocracy. If you could sit down to spill the tea with one character from the show, would it be Queen Charlotte or Penelope Featherington?
1: If those are my choices, it's definitely Queen Charlotte.
0: Queen Charlotte would kiki
1: in the palace,
0: and probably have better tea. So, uh, Cal, as you know, we always love asking our guests not just about their areas of expertise, but about their pop interests. So, what is in your pop life these days?
1: Um, let's see. Aside from aside from all the late, a little bit about the and Megan um, I would say uh, I'm about, I'm in the middle of Descendant. Oh, okay. Um, and looking forward to the sixteen nineteen project on Hulu coming soon. Coming soon. Um, I'm really diving deep into untold or obscured stories of uh, the Black experience in America, and so those are those are some pieces. I did just watch um, Poitier, which was a, a, oh, a, a yes a Sydney yeah. Sydney rather produced uh, by uh, Oprah, and. It was just so fun because, of course, he's such a huge part of my childhood pop culture diet with his classics, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, To Sir With Love. Um, All of those movies were movies my parents took us to in the 60s. So uh, that was very fun to look back on his life.
0: Well, you have been a fabulously fun part of Pop Life. Thank you for joining us. And to our guests, I'll remind you, you are under royal decree to tune in to the next episode of Pop Life. I will see you all next time.
1: Thanks for listening to Pop Life, a production of WAER, Syracuse Public Media. You can find archived episodes at WAER.org. And don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen for automatic delivery of new episodes.